Good morning. Welcome to Kesed. If you are new, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, my name is Danny. I am one of the pastors, and I'm going to be sharing with you guys today a little bit. I, uh, I want to start off, well, first off, we're in a series called Vivid right now, and uh, the whole idea of the series is that, that I believe, and I think Scripture teaches that God has called all of us to live lives that are seen. Now, may not seen to the extent that, that I'm currently living my life, uh, up on a stage under lights, but seen in your everyday life, seen in your marriage, and even seen within your families, because there's a lot of stuff we hide because we, we don't really know how to engage with. And so Scripture talks about this whole idea of awakening, and this whole idea uh, often, not just a few verses, all over Scripture, that you are to be awake, you are to be awake, you are to be awake. There's a verse in Ephesians 5.14, it's a really uh, common verse, and it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And for the first two weeks of the series, we talked about this verse and how this theme just repeats over and over and over that, that God wants you to awake and, and see and really be willing to, to accept whatever it is he is going to shine in your life, but you first have to awaken. Uh, being seen sometimes can be really, really, really uncomfortable. So I just want to stop for a second before I move into the next step inside this this idea of what it means to live vividly and recognize that sometimes being seen, even for people who are seen for a living, can be really, really uncomfortable. Uh, there is an uncomfortable story that I'd like to share with you that happened to me last week. Uh, my wife Erin and I, we've been married 22 years, and uh, we were off last week, and I was a little more tired than usual because I had spoken and had been on a few more weeks than usual. I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty good for four or five weeks, but you get me 10, 12, 13, 14 weeks in a row, and I uh, you just you just never know what you're gonna get. So uh, so I gotta I gotta maybe I'll still be at work, but the actual pulpit uh, holding for me gets tired. So I took uh, a whole week off last week, which Pastor Chris Potter came and spoke at both our campuses, and I heard he did an amazing job. So I'm grateful for that. Very grateful for that. But uh, I wanna I wanna just I wanna just illustrate that being seen sometimes can be can be a little uh, disconcerting if it's not if it's not you know all polished like sometimes it appears to be up here. So we took last week off, and so we were going to go to the beach for like four nights, but the beach right now, because I think everybody had the same idea, is really expensive, and I, I heard fairly packed. And so my wife of 22 years looked at me and came up with this brilliant idea, and she's like, hey, what if we took the money that we were going to spend on the hotel and the travel and the out to eat, and what if we stayed home, and instead we went shopping? And if you know me, you know that she's like speaking my love language because I think half the people in the room are like, oh, this is for her. The other half who've spent any time with me were like, wow, she really knows him. I was like, this is brilliant. She's like, yeah, we'll just go out to eat. We'll go to like Washington Square or Clackamas and we'll just, we'll just shop. We'll get clothes or get some new shoes or we'll get some shirts. And I was, and, you know, and I was like, you're, this is why you're my soulmate. This is amazing. So we took a couple different days and did these little, these little half-day trips. We went to Washington Square twice because it's been a long time since I've been there. And, and to shop in person, I mean, I'm all about online. I'm getting pretty savvy at it. But it's a little different when you can actually shop in person. It feels different. So we're walking in this store, and I'm looking for, I think I was looking for uh, sweats at the time. I was looking for a pair of sweats. And I walked by a rack, and I saw this leather jacket. And, and there's a conversation in my household right now that's lasted about a year and a half around this perfect leather jacket that I have in my mind that I would love to have uh, by fall and winter. And it's been, it's been for a while, and I've already missed like two falls and winters and not found the jacket because I'm just really particular. 
So I saw this leather jacket, and my wife saw me see it. And we're there for sweat. And she's like, that's a nice jacket. And I was like, that is a really nice jacket. And so I pulled the jacket off, and they never have my size. And I pulled it off, they had, they had my size. And I was like, oh, they have my size. So I'm feeling a lot of Holy Spirit in this jacket at this point, is what I'm... And I'm like, this is the jacket Jesus made for me. And I, and, I pay, and I put the jacket on, and it's perfect. It's like tailored to me. It's, it's perfect. It's the right color. Uh, it's, the right, it's the right price. It's the right shape. It's perfect. And the salesman sees me see it. And he's like, it's a really good jacket. And I go, it is, it is a really good jacket. And so we go over to this area where there's kind of a fitting room mirror thing, and he's looking at it, and I'm talking about the jacket, and he's selling me the jacket, and I'm definitely buying the jacket. And, and then I zip the jacket up, and I'm like, unbelievable, it even fits zipped, which is a big deal to me. And he's like, I said, I'll take it. And my wife's like, I knew it. We weren't even here for that. And I'm like, listen, you said the Holy Spirit wanted us to spend money on shopping, and this is... And she's, so we're arguing the theology of shopping at this point, and the salesman's laughing. And so I said, all right, I'll take it. So I go to unzip the jacket, and it goes, zoom, and it just stops. And I'm like, oh. And he's like, you just got to kind of pull on it. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then he's like, sort of like, hold the other one. I think you're holding it wrong. I'm like, okay. And he goes, do you mind? And I'm like, no, that's cool. And so he's like, we're like pulling on this jacket for about 10 minutes until he goes, you know, I think it's, I think the zipper, I think maybe when you zipped it, you didn't zip it all the way right. Let me take it to our house tailor. We'll have him fix it right here in house. No problem. I said, okay, great. How am I going to get it off? Because it fits perfect. (laughs) And he's like, well, just lift it up over your head. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like perfect fitting clothes. They just don't come off like a sweatshirt, right? On a movie night. Like this is, this was not. So eventually I had to peel this jacket off of me and take it off like a pair of wet swim shorts, right? Like you're just, you're just sort of peeling it off. You know what I'm talking about, right? You saw it in your head right then where you just can't whip it off. You got to like layer it off and roll it off, you know? So I get it off and he's like, great, I'll meet you at the cash register. And I was like, awesome. Still excited. I mean, it's a great story. And my wife and I did a little bit more shopping and then we walk up to the cash register and it's him, I think the assistant manager, and then like three or four other people in line and my jacket hanging behind the counter. And I am sitting there, and he sees me, and he's like, you want to try your jacket on while you wait? And I'm like, yeah, cool, cool. So again, puts his jacket on. I take the jacket. It zips beautifully, like butter. Perfect. Fits perfect. And I'm sitting in line, and I'm like, you know, I better make sure this can, <laughs> this can unzip. And so in line with all these people, him and everybody else, I go, zip, and it goes, lock. And I went, I think the zipper's stuck again. And he's like, no, no. So he comes out. And this time he doesn't even ask. He just grabs my zipper, right? And he's just like yanking the zipper. So I'm just, I'm just sitting in line like, I'm so uncomfortable right now. Like, uh, hey, what's up? How was your Friday night? You know? And, and he's frustrated because he's feeling like he's losing the sale. And, right? and he says, here's the thing. These, let, I, I, I don't know what's going on. So he calls his manager over. So this woman comes over. And again, no permission at this point because they know that I'm that close to losing the sale. She's like, let me try. So they're both just tugging on this zipper while I'm moving up in line, right, getting closer to the register. And finally, I get to the front, and I'm like, listen, enough. Clearly, this jacket is broken. And they're like, it's probably broken. But how bad do you really need it to zip? (laughs) And just for a second, I thought, how bad do I need this jacket to zip? I mean, I could wear a broken zipper jacket that fits this well. It'll be 80% there. And then my wife looked at me, and she's like, listen, perfect leather jacket in your head. 
it zipped. And so I told them, no, I, I can't do it. I made an adult decision. And you could tell they were so disappointed. And I was like, I feel really mature. I feel like I, like I have a lot of respect for myself. And then there in front of everybody, I peeled that jacket off like a pair of wet shorts in front of everybody at this point. And now they're really embarrassed because they're like, do you want to go back to the room? I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And you can see people be like, oh, man, that's a bummer. And I've got one leg, and, you know, and I got the other leg. And, and then eventually I handed the jacket back and left. And I, I think the point of the story for today is that for some of you, I, I feel like for some of you, the, the first three talks in the Vivid series, so I've heard, were like for you. You're like, this is what I've been waiting for. I, I want to live vividly. I'm tired of living on the sidelines. I'm tired of, I, I have this idea of my life and my mind, and I've seen it, and inside this series, I'm stepping into it. But there's parts of your story that you're going to have to actually address in order for it to work out, because once you actually start to live vividly, people start to see you. And a lot like me sitting there in that, in that, you know, at that, in that line in that showroom, you start realizing people are looking at you, and they're not really just looking at the leather jacket that fits you so well. They're also looking at the leather jacket that you can't take off and that is broken in certain areas. And so I want to encourage you as we step into step two that if you feel that way, if you're like, oh, I want to be seen, but I don't know exactly how I'll, how I'll get this off. I don't know exactly how I'll live in a known way consistently because people are going to see these broken pieces of our story. Sometimes you just got to smile and, and you got to walk into it. And so that's, I wanted to address it because I've heard a few people kind of pull me aside and, and I've met a few people and I've received a few phone calls and they're like, so if I do this, people are going to see me and what if I'm not prepared? What if I look foolish? Because they're now looking at me, and that's just part of, that's just part of it. And so I, I think today will help with some of that, but I wanted to make sure and let you know that, that sometimes it's, it's embarrassing to be seen. But, you know, it'd be a shame to live your whole life without that perfect leather jacket. So you got to keep looking. you got to keep seeking, and you got to be willing to, uh, to not buy the broken life just because it's almost there. We have to be willing to be authentic about all the areas of our life. You may have your fitness dialed in. You may have your emotional health dialed in. You may have your finances dialed in. But if your spiritual life is lacking, it's that jacket with a broken zipper. It's close. But it's not what it's supposed to be. So, amen? Amen. Okay, none of that was in my notes. So that was just, uh, I don't know who that was for in the room, but you're welcome. Um, so let's talk about what happens after... Uh, after you're awake, because once you're awake in your day-to-day life, the same thing happens that happens when you wake up uh, from a night's slumber. You begin to look around, and you begin to assess the situation. Now, most of us live in a comfortable environment where the first thing we do in the first two seconds is assess that we're where we thought we were, that we're safe, that everything's as it's supposed to be, and so we can continue in our process to wake up. Some of you, when you wake up, you're going to find that you're not where you were supposed to be. Some of you are going to wake up and find that you don't understand this room, or how did you get here, or why am I here, or is this really the state of my family? And I want to give you space to understand that that's also okay, especially if you've never awoken before. Uh, There's a young couple going to our church right now, probably mid-30s, a couple kids, and they were openly with me walking through this awakening process, and they actually came to a point, I met with uh, the husband last week, 
And he actually said, in our awakening process, what's happened is the first thing they did was discover that they had things in their life that they were prioritizing over their small children. They awakened into a room and went, that's not supposed to be here. And so they actively, over the last month, started removing those things from their story because it was constantly demanding from them space and time that they should be giving to their small children. They also discovered that their life was too cluttered. He said, we started looking around our home and our property and the space that we live, and we're like, why do we have all these things we don't use? This is all in relation to awakening. So lifestyle, too busy, pulling from our young children. Life uh, placement, where I am, too cluttered. And also, I'm keeping things from other people I could donate these things to. And so they actually started going through their storage and their, their, their property and their home and just sort of decluttering all the things in their life that they had held on to that they knew somebody else could use that they weren't using. And then, and this was the hardest one for them, they even discovered that they had relationships, close relationships scattered throughout their lives that were consuming, harmful, and not helpful and so actually went and had meetings with those people and said to them, this is where I want to go. This is who I want to be, kind of awakened. This is the room I want to live in. I would love for you to come with me, or I, would, I, would, I just want you to recognize those, there's probably less time we're going to spend together. This is what happens when you awaken and you start to look around the room. This is the simple and complex work of seeking wholeness. This is what the next two steps, today and next Sunday, are going to be, and I'll be here for both of them. We have to be people who don't just live awake. We have to be people who actually seek wholeness. Wholeness is simple at first. It's simple in that once you are awakened and start to look around, it's not that difficult to decipher. You do have to awaken first. That's why you, most of us, live a lot of our lives feeling incomplete and feeling like there's something missing. That's why a lot of us are out there trying to uh, insatiably cure this thing within us, whether it's with drinking or pornography or deviant behavior or not so good relationships or even good stuff like work or, or even worshiping our family. Okay, that's, a, that's another one that, that, that uh, is hard for some people where you worship your family circle so much so you look over behavior that shouldn't be there, and you defend them even when they're the ones that are doing a little bit of the oppressing. When you awaken and start to see all these kinds of things, you start to realize, okay, I have these insatiable areas in my life, and I have to figure out how am I going to stop filling these with negative things. And so you awaken, you see that you're lacking, you see that you're missing, I see that I'm lacking, I see that I'm missing, and I look off in the distance, and I can see wholeness. All of us in this room got an idea, a, a foggy, kind of vague idea of what the life you could live might look like. It's a little like the, the idea of the North Star, right? You have a North Star. If you go outside in the dark of night and take even a child and you describe the North Star, it's sort of by itself, it's sort of this way, it's sort of that way, a lot of the times they can almost find it on their own. Now, looking up and discovering where the North Star is is a lot like when Jesus says, open your eyes and recognize you are in great need. It's not too difficult to see that you're in need, which means you are openly proclaiming you need something more to be whole. You can see it over there. And it's important, but it's not enough. It's just not enough. As a matter of fact, this is where a lot of Christians actually find themselves stunted in their Christian growth because 
the church preaches 80% awakening. 80% of what we preach is, hey, 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 that's, that's not good, don't do that, hey, hey. And what it does is that kind of teaching or that kind of parenting keeps many people spiritually, like at a toddler level. Don't touch that, it's hot. And then, or, oh, you touched it, didn't you? Yeah, you burnt yourself. See, that's what happens when you mess with the world, it burns you. And then people are like, huh, I got it, I understand. The world is this way, God is this way, I'm awakened, work done. No, you just learn not to touch fire. And it's important for your survival, by the way. I'm not minimizing the awakening. I'm just minimizing the reality that it's not the goal. The goal is to push through awakening and continue, continue to develop. And so this is a phrase that you'll hear a lot in healthy churches, I think in healthy psychology and healthy human development, and that is, are you willing to do the work? This is what that means. You awaken, you recognize there's a whole life for you out there somewhere in the distance. You recognize that it, that it has a purpose. I mean, the North Star is beautiful, right? The North Star is beautiful because it does two things. It tells you where you currently are, and it can be used to tell you where you're going. That's what wholeness is. Wholeness is, oh, wow, that's all the stuff I'm missing? And wholeness is used for that's where I want to go. It's supposed to help you navigate, but it's work. It's not a ton of work to walk out of your front door in your comfy pajama sweats, look up and go, there's the North Star. It's a ton of work to go, hey, I think I'm going to follow that. What? Yeah, I think I'm going to follow it. I'm going to pack a bag and get the right shoes and make a plan and have the finances. Like, I think I'm going to build a life of adventure, a life that is actually seeking that star, seeking that wholeness. None of that can happen until you're awake. It's critical. But just being awake doesn't make you an adventurer. And that's why a lot of us as Christians don't smell like Christians. We smell like pretty much everybody else that's done even a tiny bit of awakening. And you can awaken, by the way. You can awaken. All kinds of people have done it without Jesus, or at least without knowing it's Jesus. Strike that. Without knowing it's Jesus. You can awaken to money doesn't matter. This doesn't matter. These things aren't going to fulfill me. Not everybody has to have Jesus to see that. I still think all truth is God's truth and it's Jesus awakening people to reveal himself to them. But don't stop claiming you are some sort of great Christian adventurer while you sit on your front porch telling everybody that's what wholeness looks like without actually doing any of the work. You have to do the work. And your journey, I'll put this on the screen, towards wholeness is also a journey towards your purpose, which is why it's so, so very important to actually do that work. Because when all you do is come sit in a chair and listen to somebody or read a book or listen to a podcast or even tell people about the North Star, the wholeness that's out there, but don't actually do any of the work yourself, eventually you feel like all of Scripture says you will feel, which is missing and purposeless. I'm not sure there's a more consistent question in my, uh, in my inbox than can you help me find my purpose? And, and I don't know that I can because I, I think that this is sort of a fluid question that changes. We're going to talk a little bit about it here in just a moment. But I do know that I can help you realize if all you've done is point to where the North Star is and think that's the adventure of your life. Telling your friends, I'm going to church and I found Jesus. And they're like, what? 
And you're, that's crazy. I thought you weren't religious. I thought that stuff was crazy. I thought it didn't matter. That's huge, and it's significant, and it's important, but it's only the beginning. You've got to do the work. That's like standing, it's like going to see the doctor, and he's like, hey, you're not healthy. And you're like, what? That's crazy. I had no idea. And then going home and telling all your friends, the doctor said I'm not healthy. He said it's crazy. I had no idea. And then not getting on a treadmill or changing your diet or doing anything about it. You can't just tell people, yeah, I know I'm unhealthy. You have to actually decide to do the work. So I want to give you an example of how that plays out in Scripture because uh, I can talk about it all day long or I can just show it to you. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 17. Uh, my chapter is titled The Rich Young Man. Probably most people's are titled The Rich Young Ruler. Uh, both of them work. And uh, I think it's a beautiful, beautiful example of just what it means to be awakened without understanding the work that's required after the awakening. Jesus is out for context doing his ministry thing. He's a little ways in, and people are starting to be attracted to him. They're excited for the movement. They think he's coming to do all kinds of incredible things, actually tangible things on earth. And they are buying into his, his love and his guidance and what he's about. They are awakening. And then it says, a rich young man slash rich young ruler came to him. Verse 17, chapter 10. As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So here's the first thing we need to understand about this young man, and that is that he is fully awakened. He openly, in the midst of this crowd, calls Jesus the good teacher. He proclaims that you are as you say you are. You are God. That's why Jesus re-clarifies his own phrase. And Jesus doesn't deny him. Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus says, why are you calling me this unless you think I'm this? And it's beautiful. He is awakened. He is proclaiming to Jesus and the rest of the crowd there, this is my North Star. You have what I want. And it's beautiful. But as we'll see in a moment, it's also very, very broken. Jesus then lists a lot of difficult things for people at the time to do in their lives if they're truly awakened and willing to follow him. Verse 19, he says this, you know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. I love this entire passage because I don't think Jesus is ever just talking to the person that we think he's talking to in the passage. Of course he's talking to us, knowing that this day would happen. But I think he's also talking to the people that are listening there in the room. People who are wondering if they can follow Jesus as well. So the young man comes forward, he drops to his knees, He's before God. He proclaims him Lord. And then Jesus says to him, well, you're not proclaiming me Lord unless you believe I'm Lord. The young man doesn't correct him. The crowd doesn't correct him. Jesus doesn't correct him. And then he lists these things that are difficult. And I think he lists things that people in the room were dealing with. I think he lists things that people in the room were actually thinking about. Do not commit murder. Someone in the room may have committed murder sometime in their life and never told anybody. And he's instantly like, ah. And then he says, do not commit adultery. Lady in the back row, like, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. And then for that rebellious six-year-old sitting there at Jesus' feet, honor your father and mother. (laughs) 
I think Jesus reads the room. I think he talks to the room. And I think that the room all got hit with this thing that nobody could possibly do that. But apparently, this young man did. Verse 20, and he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now, if this was not true, if this was false, Jesus would have torn him apart lovingly, gently. But he would have let him know, and he doesn't. This young man is, is excellence embodied. He has, he has used the wealth that his family probably got generationally before him to educate himself. He has maintained piety. He has focused on his life, on what Scripture said, because he, he guarantee you, people don't get wealthy without measuring and being strategic. He didn't just walk up to Jesus randomly. He compared what he said. He studied. He saw other versions. He went out and checked with other people, and then he made his choice to follow Jesus, and he sat before Jesus, and Jesus listed these really difficult things that probably every person in this room has experienced at one point in another, in one facet or another, and then this young man boldly, awakenly, to the face of Christ says, I have done all these things, and Jesus doesn't correct him. This is an excellent example of a human being. It's an excellent example. I don't know if I've ever met anybody like him. But then the next phrase is when God becomes God. And I love this. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Just keep it right there. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. You've got to slow down Scripture. Scripture is meant to be read fast, slow, upside down, backwards, inside out. You've got you to really take, you've got to like Google Earth this stuff, right? You've got to come way up above it. What does that mean? Jesus looked at him and loved him? Because the author, Mark, saw it. He saw it so much so that he took time to write it down. It lasted that long that Jesus looks at this young man, this unbelievable example of, of really who these disciples were not. This is who, this is the kind of disciple most people would have thought Jesus would have chosen. Not these fishermen and tax collectors. This, this man has outqualified every person in the room. And then it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. I've always wondered what that meant. It's beautiful. And then he says to him, from this place of love, but you lack one thing. And then he tells this particular young man exactly what it is. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. People always read this passage as like an example about money. I don't believe that's what it is at all. I think it's an example of how money can corrupt you, how we like to misuse the idea that money is the root of all evil. It's not what Scripture says at all. It's absolutely bad Bible. It says money is the root of all kinds of evil. Totally different. Money is the root of, I know, people in the back are like, what? What Bible is he reading? You go look it up. It's not the root of all evil. Okay? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. And this is an example of money. But more importantly, that's not what this is really about. What this is about is Jesus showing the world how he loves each of us. And no matter how well we perform, we always have one thing. This particular one, man's one thing was money. And so Jesus uses treasure language on this man who was hoarding treasure. And he says, you give me 
your everything, your treasure, and I'll give you my everything, my treasure. He speaks right to his one thing, and it breaks him. It breaks him because he doesn't even have to argue that, that Jesus, you're misunderstanding, and no, Jesus, that's not true, and he doesn't even argue because his very next response is that he was disheartened. He's, his heart is broken, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, this is why I believe this is so, so very beautiful for us in this room right now. Because, so we'll take me, okay? Because I'm just another version of the rich young ruler. And by the way, so are you. We're all different versions of these people in the Bible. We're all some sort of version of Bathsheba. We're all some sort of version of Lazarus. We're all some sort of, sort of version of Moses. That's the idea of Scripture. It's alive because it's interacting with your story in real time. I am a rich young ruler. My particular hang-up isn't money. My particular hang-up is control. Okay, I want control. Jesus wouldn't have had to say this to me. He would have listed maybe three or four commandments that I've never struggled with, right? He could have said, you know, uh, don't be greedy and don't do this. And I would have been like, never have done it, Lord. I am, you know what, when it comes to money, God, dialed in. Well, treat this person this way. Always have done it. Always have done it. All right, serve me regularly on Sundays. It's like what I do for a living. (laughs) Right? This is working out so good. Hit me with the Sabbath one, right? I want to be hit with the Sabbath one. Honor, right? The Sabbath, keep it holy. I'm like, man, I over-honor. I like prepare sermons and I talk to people every Sabbath. I haven't wasted a Sabbath in 22 years. And Jesus is like, and then he looks at me and he loves me. And then he addresses my one thing. My one thing wouldn't be money. It would, as I said, it would probably be control. He would say something like this, Danny. Hey, how are you going to do when the church starts doing well and you no longer tell people if they don't give, if they don't serve, if they don't pray, if they don't help? Once you, what happens when you don't tell people that without them the church won't survive? See, Pastor Tom, uh, it was hard for me the last uh, Tom update when he told everybody we had enough in savings. Like we have a, a nice solid contingency fund so that if emergency happens, we're, we're well established. We're like, a, a local church is like a home, right? And you want to be able to have things for when pipes break and things happen. And we've never had that. And it's been a really neat edge that I'm like, hey man, pipes could break at any time. So if you guys could chip in a little extra money, we, we don't know if a pipe breaks. Or even better, a pipe has broken. Hey, guys, a pipe has broken. I need your help. I need you to give. I need you to pray. I need you to serve. People love to show up for that stuff. And Tom walks on stage after three years of really hard work, and he's like, we're fine. And I was over here like, oh, oh, I had a meeting with him after. I said, hey, is there a different phrase we could use than we have enough? (laughs) It's a true story. And he's like, what do you mean? He's here. You could ask him. Uh, uh, I said, well, I mean, you start telling people we have enough, and then there's like, there's no, there's no like, instinct to help and serve and give and this is me being ugly and honest with you this is my issue i'm a control guy and i want to know that you know that we have a lot of work still to do i don't want us to think that we can put on our comfy church pajamas point to the church we want to be and then sit back and be like there it is and he's like but danny that's that's kind of controlling like what if we just tell people i don't know the truth he, he didn't say it that condescending, but he did with his eyes. He definitely did with his eyes. His mouth was more shepherding than loving. But the idea was, I was in my little space to say, but I don't want people to think that there's no longer pressure to give and serve and help and be a part. 
And he goes, that's not the kind of people God has brought to our church. He's brought people seeking health and wholeness, and they'll know. We don't have to do this church plant urgency. You don't have to maintain that kind of control anymore. This is what's happening inside this story. This young man is like the rest of us. And he awakens, and he goes and kneels before God, and he lists all the things he doesn't struggle with. And then God loves him, leans in, and calls out the one that he does. Now, this is supposed to get really, really personal for you. This is supposed to get personal for you because you and I are supposed to be evaluating where it is in our life we have our one thing. And we're supposed to be evaluating the fact that if you've done any awakening at all, that you now have a responsibility to do the work. You must do the work. But in order to do the work, you have to do more than just show up, raise your hands, praise Jesus, give money, pray, help, preach. You, that's not enough. The work is in the journey. The work is in sitting before Christ in all those beautiful areas and then letting him love you. Which for you and I is going to be very uncomfortable if we receive it as he's intending it. I think we always think Jesus wants to love us and make up for all the differences and make sure everything goes okay. That's often not how the love of Jesus feels at all. This young man's heart was broken. This young man, what would have happened? This is my question. What would have happened if he would have exchanged the treasures of this world for that one? He might have been the 13th disciple. He might have had whole books that he wrote because he was the one person on earth whose eyes were open and was willing to do the work to give up the thing he held most dear. And all Jesus wanted was an exchange for the thing he held most dear so that Jesus could be the thing he holds, so that this young man could have Jesus as the thing he holds most dear. That's what, what God is constantly doing inside your heart and mind. This has nothing to do with Kessler Local Church. This is straight up personal with you and me. God is constantly trying to break your heart open so that he can place his love inside it. But oftentimes the way to break your heart is to ask you to exchange your one thing for him. Because it is heart-rending when you let go of your control or your treasure or this, this anger or lack of forgiveness. I could go on and on and on. I don't have to know what your one thing is. I just know that Jesus wants it. And that if you're willing to give it, you will take your very first steps, and so will I, towards experiencing a life journeying with him focused on wholeness. It's a beautiful, provocative, <laughs> offensive passage. But this is what our God wants. He is always intimately working with us for our wholeness and so our purpose. So that becomes the question. That's the question. How will you choose to respond and make the changes you need to in your life? What will you do next? I'm going to have the worship team come out, and we're going we're gonna to spend time just reflecting on that. We've had kind of a song of the week at the end of every uh, talk, and this particular uh, song for this week is this song called Reckless Love. And it's this idea within this song that that God's love sometimes feels like it's all over the place. It sometimes feels like it's, 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 just, it's just a little bit reckless. It feels. 
And we know that it's not. We know that it's him. We know that all he wants is all of us, but it's really, really hard to experience it. And so I want to give you space to be frustrated in that space with him because you can worship from a frustrated space. You can worship from a sad space. You can worship from a grieving space. You can worship from a controlling space. You really can. If you can own and be honest about the fact that these are your things, Lord, pry them out of my hands and exchange them for you. So let's pray right now. Let's just take a minute and lift that time. Lord, we all have one thing. Things that are keeping us from reaching, things that are keeping us from experiencing, things that are keeping us hidden, things that are keeping us thwarted, things that are keeping us toxic, things that are keeping us from joy, things that are keeping us from courage, things that are keeping us from, from contentment, from empathy. God, we all have these one things and you know exactly what mine is and the others in this room or those watching online are. So Lord, I pray that even if the love feels a bit reckless, that you would invade my space. That you would love me while I lift up all my treasures, all the things I'm good at. You would love me in spite of you helping to set those down in exchange for the stuff that's really keeping me from worshiping you with the wholeness of my heart. And so Lord, we just, we just spend some time in that now. Receiving from you whatever it is you have. In Jesus' name, amen. spoke a word you were singing over me you've been so so good to me for I took a breath you breathed your life in me you've been so so kind to me God, oh, it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it, still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God
was your foe, still your love fought for me. And you have been so, so good to me. All my life, God, when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. You have been so, so kind. out. There's no shadow you won't light up. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie you won't tear down coming after me. There's no shadow you won't light up. Mountain you won't climb up coming after me. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. There's no shadow, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's always a blessing to get to worship with all of you, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your week. We'll see you next Sunday.